<laughs> hey, welcome to another episode of The Scrum, WGBH News' political podcast. We're coming to you from the floor of the Mass Democratic Convention in Worcester and talking with the man whose uh, win here is probably the big story of the convention, Boston City Councilor Josh Zakem, who got the endorsement of the convention over six-term incumbent Bill Galvin. Josh Zakem, first off, congratulations. Thank you. I heard your aides before the convention saying, oh, they'd be happy if you got 20%, or maybe they'd be happy if you got 30%. They were totally full of it, right? You guys knew that you were going to be pushing Galvin here to get the I nomination? Mean, I would have loved it. We've got, these are, these are my notes from my second speech. You know, we were not expecting to give a second speech today. I think coming in, I did feel that getting into the high 20s, maybe a little beyond that was feasible. Um, but to come in and uh, get the endorsement, I'm humbled, I'm grateful. It's not what we were expecting going up against someone who's been coming to these things uh, for decades, who's been a candidate for six times as Secretary of State. Um, I think it's a question of people hearing our message of inclusiveness, of a need for election day registration, same day registration, automatic registration, things that could and should have been happening in Massachusetts, the Secretary of State's office over the last decades that, you know, we have an opportunity to change in 2018. Uh, Peter Kadz is my colleague, I believe, wants to throw a question at you. Yeah, Councillor, I, I found it interesting that in talking to state reps and state senators who were here, some as delegates, some just here observing, that before the vote, uh, they were very, very wary about taking sides in this, as opposed to people from cities and towns. I talked to some people who said, no, I've been with Bill Galvin for years. I'm, I'm. But why do you think there's the ambivalence from people at the State House? But if my read was correct, people in cities and towns were more, more than willing to take a position either for you or for Mr. Galvin. Um. It's an interesting observation. Um, I, I can't speculate. I think I've been proud of getting support from folks who you know, are state legislators, who have uh, been city councilors, uh, mayors across the Commonwealth. I think, uh, I think folks who've had the opportunity to work with me uh, over the years and who've been working on a lot of these important issues um, you know, came to support us. I certainly hope to build on today over the next three months and gain support both from elected officials but from people across the Commonwealth. And you know, I hope more and more folks are seeing what we're talking about, are believing in it and agreeing with it. Like I said, this is one moment. It's a great moment. I'm excited. I'm thrilled. I'm grateful. But we've got uh, three months ahead of us of hard work to get this done on September 4th. i got to ask you one more thing before I give a couple other participants a chance to get in here. I did a story about your contest with Bill Gavin recently, in which I talked about trying to get a hold of him and him not responding to me. You, I know, have called on him to debate, and he hasn't responded to that. Today, in a media veil that I wasn't at, but among other people, Politico's Lauren Dzenski was at, she's standing right there, uh, he said that this is a race between one person who knows what they're doing, him, and one person who doesn't know what they're doing, you. He also got out of the DCU Center before the final outcome was announced. My read on that is that he has taken great personal umbrage at you having the temerity to challenge him. Does that sound right? You know, I think it'd be unfortunate for Secretary Galvin to make this a personal race. We've been talking about the issues, and I think there are substantial differences between us when it comes to some core functions of that office, like voter registration, like public records, and some core values of what we believe in uh, as elected officials, as leaders. And I've been trying to talk about those issues. If Secretary Galvin chooses to make this uh, about personalities, that's unfortunate. I think the voters deserve better, and we're going to keep it uh, about the issues. We've got a couple other people hanging around here. Gin Dumpsius from the Springfield Republican of Mass Live. Lauren Dzenski, as I mentioned, from Politico. Also, Karen Regal from WBZ and Mike Dean from WGBH News. Do any of you guys want to throw a question at the counselor? How do you hope to close the resources gap? You, uh, Bill Galvin's got about uh, $2 million. Is that, is that roughly right? 
So, sounds about right. You know, I think uh, benefiting from uh, 24 years in that office, Secretary Galvin does have a significant fun fundraising advantage. Uh, we're going to make sure we have the resources we need to carry our message to the voters. You know, I certainly expect to be vastly outspent in this race, um, but we are going to be working hard, reaching out to people one-to-one. -one. That's how we did that here today. We made the phone calls. Volunteers were talking to people, talking to delegates face-to-face. -face. We're going to be door-knocking. We're going to be making those phone calls, and we're going to be reaching out to people where they are. And, you know, I think uh, it's important you have the resources to get the message out. Not having the most resources um, is not going to stop us. Mike, Lauren, Karen? How, do, how does that 55% of the delegate count equal uh, resources, either financially or boots on the ground? Do you build your campaign from here on out? Well, I certainly think this is a really uh, exciting starting point uh, for the final three months before the primary. You know, the folks that were in this room, these are the people who are knocking on doors, who are holding house parties, who are calling their neighbors when it comes to elections. Um, really excited to have their support. We're certainly building on it. We've signed up a lot of volunteers, a lot of activists over the last two days here in Worcester, and we're going to continue. We're going to be out in communities across the Commonwealth talking about these same issues and making sure that people know that for the first time in a long time, there's a choice in this race, and I think there are clear differences between us. One thing I want to add, um, earlier this week there were some headlines from uh, Congressman Seth Moulton uh, as well as Boston Mayor Marty Walsh who backed your candidacy. Do you think that their support played a role at all with the uh, the amount of delegates who backed you at the convention today? Yeah. Well, certainly both uh, Congressman Moulton, Mayor Walsh, and you know the other elected officials and the local activists who have supported our campaign, I think, are well respected by the people who are in this room. Um, I'm grateful for the support received from the 55% of the delegates today and certainly hope that, to build on that uh, going to the primary. But this is about talking to voters. You know, we made phone calls. I was making phone calls to delegates uh, throughout this process. Our volunteers were. My family was. It's about talking about the issues. It's about reaching out to people. That's what this election is about. That's what this office should be about. And that's what we're going to continue doing for the next three months. Josh Shakem, I know you probably want to go home and celebrate, but I think my colleague Peter Kazis has one more carefully right. crafted question for you. Well, I don't know how carefully crafted it is. My theory about your win or Galvin's loss is partly that uh, people, A, no longer really give a hoot about Bill Gavin, or, or B, sort of could care less, you know, they're, they're sort of ticked off at Wait, what's the difference between not giving a hoot or could care less? Good point. A apathy or negative sentiment? Uh, my theory is that people either no longer give a hoot about Bill Gavin, or they actively dislike him. What do you make of that? Well, listen, I think from the discussions I've had with voters, uh, it's been about the issues. It's been about the fact that, you know, we're not one of the 17 states with same-day registration. We're not one of the 13 states with automatic registration. These are real core issues affecting our democracy that are under the purview of the Secretary of State's office. That's what we've been talking about. Now, listen, if someone uh, has a personal reason for making a choice here, I can't, I can't see into that. But we have been having real substantive discussions with people around these issues, around improving election security, around making public records more transparent. And I think that's going to resonate throughout the Commonwealth. Josh Jacob, we should let you go. Congratulations on your big win today. Thank you, guys. And we also, I think, need to walk away because the DCU Center guards clad in green have sort of they gently but ominously us. surrounded us, <laughs> which I think means it's time to go. Guys, thank you for your patience. Okay, actually, we're not out of the building just yet, but we just spied Quentin Pelfrey, the indoor C for Lieutenant Governor, and I want to see if we can catch him for just a couple minutes. Mr. Pelfrey. I know this looks creepy having a group of people approach you like this. Not at all, uh, not I'm, at all. This is awesome. I'm Adam Riley from WGBH. I've uh, got nice some colleagues here and uh, fellow right. journalists. We are in the midst of an instant scrum. It's this political podcast that we do at WGBH. 
sizing up the convention, and I wanted to ask you uh, what you make of the outcome here today for you. First off, congratulations. Were you surprised by the margin? No, I, I, I feel really good. And by the way, I'm a big fan of the Scrum, so I'm thrilled to, to be on it. Um, and we feel really good. You know, we've been building a grassroots campaign from the Berkshires to the Cape. We've been working hard to build out an organization in all 351 cities and towns. And we feel like, um, you know, the result here today was a testament to the hard work of our volunteers. We're going to do a lot more of that. We've got to build uh, this campaign. We're going to uh, take the message of how we're going to take back the corner office um, all the way uh, to November. We want to raise the minimum wage. We want to get paid family leave. We want to pass a millionaire's tax and really invest in transportation and in education. And we want to lead in ways that Baker and Polito are just not leading. If you ask people what Baker and Polito are doing on the issues that really affect ordinary people, often people can't think of examples of their leadership. We're going to lean in and lead on the issues that really affect ordinary people. This might be a question you're already getting sick of, but uh, since you see this clear deficit or failure on the part of Baker and Polito, what is your understanding of why in poll after poll we see the governor having high favorability marks or approval marks? Uh, and as you know, a lot of Democrats are loath to say anything negative about him, including at this convention, Elizabeth Warren, Ed Markey, and Boston Mayor Marty Walsh. What, how do you account for that tension if Baker and Polito are not doing a good job um, why don't more people uh, feel like they're not doing a good job? I think you see in the poll numbers actually exactly what I'm describing. So if you look at the numbers for somebody like Elizabeth Warren, there are people who love her. There are not that many people who are lukewarm on her, and maybe there are a few people, or there are some people who don't like her intensely. Baker's numbers are exactly the opposite. Nobody loves him. There are people who like him. Uh, there are people who don't like him, and nobody hates him. But if you ask people what are his uh, accomplishments, do you like what he's doing on transportation or education? education, on climate change, those numbers get a lot weaker. And I think that once we establish, um, first of all, who's going to be on the ticket and also establish a clear vision for where um, the Democrats running statewide want to take this commonwealth um, and the lack of leadership that we're seeing for Baker and Polito, I think that we're going to see a lot of the folks who are energized um, by Elizabeth Warren, energized by the minimum wage, start to um, start to, to choose um, our our leaders on the Democratic side. So can I jump in with something uh, somewhat archaic but tangible? Uh, one of the duties of lieutenant governor is chairing the governor's council, a group of separately elected people, and something that's uh, something of a laughing stock in the legal community unless they're up for a judgeship. So uh, what's your stance on the governor's council? Should it be completely abolished? Uh, and if not, why not? The uh, egghead question is from Gin Dumpsius of Springfield, the Springfield Republican in Mass Live. Uh, go ahead. So I'd be honored to sit as the chair of the governor's council. And as a lawyer who's kind of spent my career working on civil rights issues and issues around poverty and inequality, I think that I bring to the job some skills um, that aren't that, that the current lieutenant governor and that my opponent don't have in terms of figuring out who's going to be the best judge. I think the judiciary has a really important role um, in our governmental system, particularly in a time when our civil rights are under attack. I also want to use it as a platform to talk about how we're going to continue to reform our criminal justice system. Um, because we really do have a, a system that imprisons too many people um, and where race uh, is too big of a factor. Uh, I, I think that the legislature made some great strides on reforming that system, uh, but I think there's a lot 
more to do. I'm happy to get into the details of that, but I would focus less on reforming the structure of the governor's council and more on reforming the criminal justice system that harms people in poverty and that has a very racially disparate impact on some of our most vulnerable communities. All right, I think we've got time for one more question before the green-shirted DCU guards actually grab us and physically escort us out of here. Lauren Dzinski of Politico, what do you want to ask Hi, Quentin Pelfrey? Nice to see you. Nice to see I have you. a question. So related to how Karen Polito and Charlie Baker's kind of relationship on the ticket works, her campaign account kind of helps supplement Charlie Baker's. They're kind of seen as this package deal that has $10 million in their war chest. Do you see yourself as having a financial benefit to whoever is on the top of the ticket after the primary? First of all, I would say that we have run a very disciplined campaign. We've run the kind of campaign that raises more than it spends and that has been very effective in building out a grassroots organization. I think that kind of discipline and campaign experience is really going to serve the ticket very well. I think you've seen this in the poll numbers, but people haven't really focused on uh, the gubernatorial race. They haven't focused on the Democrats and the ticket. And I think we're going to have an opportunity to introduce ourselves to the voters. And I think. We when, when that happens, um, we're going to have an opportunity to raise more resources. I think, honestly, uh, today will be a big step forward in our ability to start making that case um, that we, we, we have a, a, some strong Democratic leaders um, who are going to be able to take the fight to Baker and Polito. And I, I, I expect our fundraising will increase over the next Quentin Palfrey, we got to leave it there because the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten DCU guards who have been slowly approaching while we've talked to you look like they're about ready to throw me to the ground. Yeah. Thank you, Quentin Palfrey. Thanks a lot. Nice to see you. All right, so here's my thought. We've already talked... <laughs> no, no, no. We've already talked with a couple of candidates at some length why don't we just do a quick instant analysis of what the outcome was here. All right, first off, Mike Dean, you are sort of WGBH News as well. You're one of our resident uh, Bill Galvin experts. You work on Beacon Hill. He is uh, known in some circles as the Lord of the Hill or the Prince of Darkness. Can you give listeners who might not be as familiar with Bill Galvin as you are a quick primer on who he is and why today's outcome is such a surprise? Well, I think he has a reputation of uh, a bit of a stiff, uh, a bit of a, a dark personality, a bit of a, a darker sense of humor, I think, as a lot of people would say. All of that over the long term has turned him into the quote-unquote Prince of Darkness, uh, was his older nickname. He has now kind of transitioned into the, the Lord of the Hill, uh, <laughs> given his tenure of time. He uh, seems to be behind a lot of the politics or involved in a lot of the politics that goes on at the State House and around Beacon Hill. He has really made the Secretary of State's office over his 25 years um, something much more than it's that it was to start out with he took something that was really just election uh, you know, oversight and management and some corporate oversight and management and turned it into a, a, somehow a constitutional office that touches almost everything because it touches every election in the state so every elected official and every municipal official deals with Bill Galvin and his office in some way, shape, or form. Uh, he's really built one of the biggest fiefdoms in state government around the secretary's office. So were you surprised to see him lose by, what, about 10 percentage points to Josh Zakem? Did that take you back? Yes, that was surprising. Um, I think earlier on people were saying that uh, Zakem was really just going to try to get into the 30s or 40s. It maybe would be a very good showing. He topped that even. Um, it shows maybe perhaps that... You know, Galvin doesn't have the um, 
foundational support that he used to, that he's had for 25 years. And there is a dissatisfaction, especially on the left. Um, Galvin is seen as a more conservative Democrat, an old school Boston Democrat. For instance, you know, he's pro-life. Um, that doesn't really have too much to do with the Secretary of State's office or this race. Right, it's but it's a it, marker. It, it's a, yes, it's a profile piece. It's a, it's a part of Galvin's um, political profile that kind of marks him, again, as a, an, an older school Democrat. And they're not really in favor right now. Okay, again, Dumpsius, Lauren Dzenski, Peter Kadzis, what musings do you guys have either about the galvin Zakem outcome or anything else that was decided here today? Again, Dumpsius. I, I think the thing to remember is uh, this is a fairly small group of people we're talking about, similar to the Republican convention. You know, obviously we're going we're gonna to see the primary in September, what that, uh, after a Labor Day weekend, no less. Um, so we're going to, the, the intensity here, such as it was, uh, may not necessarily carry over. You know, obviously the, the people who are running against uh, Baker and the people who are running against Senator Warren, they're talking to the similar crowds and now they have to take their messages in a much more broader fashion. Uh, we'll see whether they struggle with that. They have low rec uh, name recognition, low fundraising numbers. I think it's still a tough hill uh, for them to climb. Lauren Dzenski, instant analysis. Instant analysis. The Secretary of State's race was really the one to watch for me, um, simply because uh, in terms of the narrative of progressive activism, of young versus old, that that's the Bill Galvin, Josh Zakem race. And going into it, I was actually, like, I was pontificating on the press riser saying, oh, Josh Zakem's probably going to get 40% of the vote. And I was even more correct. Um, so go me. But I, I will also add, separate from that, there was something that was happening outside of the actual, like off stage. It was these buttons that around 200 people were wearing that said Stan. It was organized by some people in the Democratic Party who are still loyal to Stan Rosenberg, who brought and distributed 200 black buttons that said Stan that, you know, a, a number of people wore kind of as a mark of solidarity. It was being billed as a one-day show of support for Stan Rosenberg. Uh, he's obviously the former Senate president who's now formerly even in the Senate, um, who, who is disgraced. And I think a lot of people uh, wanted to show that they are still kind of thinking about him and that they, they you know, wanted to support him. Do you think they want him back in the Statehouse or are they not going that far? So I asked that of the main organizer whose name uh, immediately escapes me, but he's uh, a Democrat on the South Shore who's, you know, been involved in well, party South politics. South Shore, I was just assuming these are all Western Right, right. People. No, this, this was someone outside of the district. And I asked, you know, do you think that he should run again? And he basically said that he hopes that Rosenberg kind of takes the summer, recovers from what happened, and, you know, kind of reconsiders what happens next. So there's, there's other more important people who are... Uh, great insights, by the way. We're now joined by Mass Dems Chair Gus Bickford, and Peter Kadzis is just chomping at the bit to throw a question at Gus. Peter, what do you have? No, no, no other question. I, I, I had something to summary. First of all, this is the, the best-run political convention I've ever been to, and I've been to a lot over 40 years. The reason that matters is all the Democrats who are activists here leave feeling good. Whether their candidate won or lost, they feel leaving good. I also have been very critical of the Democrats running for governor. I have to take that back from today. I think Gonzalez, um, he walked on the stage as if he was a winner, and he left indeed as if he winning. And the reason that's important is that I think he made a very good case for being elected in his own right 
for things that he believed rather than just attacking Charlie Baker. So I think this was an important point. I wondered if there was going to be a governor's election. I think there is. Gus Bickford, uh, how are you compensating Peter Kadzis for his praise of your stewardship of the convention? <laughs> I'm, I'm just actually, I'm going to say thank you, but I'm also going to tell you it takes a backbone because it was not easy to keep it on time. And there are definitely some people who I literally had to run up against and just say, hey, I'm going to walk on the stage. You know, your, your, your person's going long. And there were some people that were quite unhappy. And we basically, that's how you keep the trains running on time. And that's one of the problems we have with transportation in Massachusetts. We've got someone who's disappointed when things don't go right. We need someone who's going to step up to the plate. I should have close to an hour commute. I live in Westford. I work in Boston. Um, it averages about 90 minutes, 95 minutes. And, you know, just is it getting worse? Because it's, my commute definitely getting worse. And I think we're learning. Um, I'm not sure I knew to do this, but now we can look at the bus schedules. So let's compare the bus schedules from 1998, 2004, 2008. They are longer now because they have to compensate for the amount of time they spend on the road. And so we need more emphasis of putting people on trains, on making it so that they can trust public transportation, and we'll all be happier. But that takes work. I got to ask you, I have been struck um, for a couple years now by the fact that some Democrats are willing to really go after Governor Baker, and some Democrats aren't. To my mind, at this convention, we saw Boston Mayor Marty Walsh, uh, who is local, and uh, states, uh, pardon me, U.S. Senators Elizabeth Warren and Ed Markey, who obviously are working at the federal level, uh, not utter, to my ear, a discouraging word about Governor Baker. Marty Walsh took a, a you know, whack at Scott Lively, which is not overly difficult to do. Is that going to change as the governor's race intensifies, or are you going to still have these big-name Democrats sitting on the sidelines in relation to that race, loath to say anything negative about Baker? No, I, well, first of all, we've already had Marty Walsh say that he's going to support the Democrat in the fall. So uh, he was not here in person for those of people that don't know. So not knowing what the temperature of the race is or anything on the floor, I don't hold him in fault. You heard Suzanne Bump last night, go hard. You heard Maura Healy, go hard. They didn't need to, and that didn't happen four years ago or eight years ago. Um, you hear us on a daily basis at the Democratic Party talking about how we need someone with the backbone to stand up and, and work very hard. Now, I also want to put something very important to people's mind, which is we really do appreciate that the elected officials in our state work together. And that is great and they need to work together and I think that's what you hear that people are willing to work together but does that mean they don't want someone with democratic values in the corner office they do because we see what happens when you just get people sniping at each other in Washington you get nothing done so Massachusetts people must be uh, happy and proud that they have a government that's willing to work together but we can do better and that's what we as Democrats want to let everybody know we want to get somebody who's going to work harder stand up strong for people messages and uh, and like just move things forward and basically have a plan Peter Kedz's closing question for Gus Bickford I've followed Bill Galvin's career for a long long time and his capacity for making mischief is almost unlimited if he should not become the Democratic uh, candidate, would you worry about Bill Galvin playing footsie with the Republicans? I, I don't worry about it. I mean, I, I frankly, I don't get involved in any of the primary races. Uh, what I've said from day one is we are putting the foundation in place so that whoever wins the primary is going to be best. And I personally believe that Every single one of the people that spoke today is going to be as strong as possible for whoever wins. And 
I can't say enough, by the way, about what Bill Galvin has done uh, in the Secretary of Commonwealth position. So I'm a data person for those that don't know. Massachusetts has one of the best voter files in the country. So you're calling Josh Zakem sneaky. That was just a little joke. A yeah, little yeah, I appreciate that because I didn't say anything at that level. I, you know, Josh has been very good as a counselor in Boston. Secretary Galvin has been out front when it comes to one of the best voter files in the country. And I just, you know, that's not questionable. Gus Bickford, thank you and congratulations. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. All right. I think we're about ready to call that an episode. But Mike Dean, I see you have another point you want to make before we close. Yeah, I, I was struck by the similarities and the resemblance between Jay Gonzalez's speech today and another gubernatorial uh, candidate from a few years ago who was taking on an incumbent governor. That man was Charlie Baker in 2010, who, of course, ran the fairly angry campaign. He was the angry guy. Uh, had enough, right? And, and had enough. It was Charlie Baker. Had enough was the campaign slogan. Uh, this was, of course, uh, about Deval Patrick. Um, he hit Patrick for mismanagement. He hit Patrick for different kind of scandals around the different agencies, all very similar uh, to what Gonzalez is hitting a, a, a bit Charlie Baker on right now, that he is now in charge of those very same agencies. Uh, and it really is just the typical incumbency challenge when you say this guy isn't doing the job well enough. Here are some reasons they disagree on some of the reasons and some of the vision. Um, Gonzalez and, and also Bob Massey want more of a visionary governor, more of a, a, a taking the steering wheel leader type. Whereas in 2010, I think Baker certainly wanted Patrick to maybe have a little less vision and a little more day-to-day yeah, -day yeah. management. So they do differ there. But uh, Jay Gonzalez could have said, had enough. Uh, of Charlie Baker and that's that place where he started point. chanting his old campaign slogan. Do you think it's going to work out better for Jay Gonzalez this year than it did for Charlie Baker in 2010? The polls suggest that Gonzalez doesn't really have as solid a chance as Baker did against Patrick yeah. uh, eight years ago. However, things could change. We don't know what the next uh, fiasco or scandal it could be. We don't know if Donald Trump is going to fire Robert Mueller. Exactly. That is the X factor here. Um, Deval Patrick in 2010 did not have the, the national swirl of his party going down the drain in, in Massachusetts the way that uh, Baker does yeah. now. All right. Mike Dean, Peter Kadzis, Gin Dumsius, Lauren Dazensky, thank you all for uh, flapping your gums along with me. And thanks to everyone who listened to this uh, latest episode of The Scrum, which comes to you from the DCU Center in Worcester. I'm Adam Riley. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News. Yeah, yeah. That was good. That was cool.